Also, I wanted to um, just bring my family up here. The young pros, uh, one professional, did an incredible thing. They actually made my wife cry. She made my wife cry. They got this basket of stuff for us, and I just wanted to thank them out of heart because these are like Noel's best. Thing. So, we don't, you guys doesn't want to have candy in the house, so who wants this? So much. It was an incredible gesture for us. Yes. Russell, easy. She's a very, she's not. So thank you so much. And you guys can wrestle it out. So I have my timer. And for your hopes, you guys should start praying. No, I just started it. My timer didn't start when I walked up. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. I am not the preacher here. I am not the minister. I am not the pastor. I am just a guy. Just a dude. Just right. a part of the church. Um, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, which I made 25 years ago. I grew up agnostic. I did not believe in God. I, um, for whatever, lots of reasons, right? And over the uh, course of my walk with the Lord, things have become, you know, you go up, you go down, you learn things, you learn stuff, and what I want to talk to today is a central part of what I've learned, which I discounted years ago, but now I feel like it's central to everything we do. So let's pray first. Father God, thank you so much for the mercy and the grace that you've poured out on all of us. Thank you first for the creation of this world, the creation of us, for your love for us, for your hope for us, and that this, it doesn't end here, Lord. You have a plan for each one of us. And it doesn't, it's not just here, Father, it's for eternity. I pray today, Father, your spirit rests on us, Father. I, each and individual person, I ask that you would speak to the heart which is appropriate to them. You'd open their eyes which is appropriate to them and you. And that you would strengthen their will and their courage to act on what you share with them. Yes. Thank you for this time. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. So Jesus Christ, believe it or not, was a rock star. He was a celebrity. The Beatles had nothing over Jesus, right? Um, great crowds followed him wherever he went. He performed miracles. He fed 5,000 people. That's a big feast. It is. And the power of good food is not lost on me. So... When we read this scripture, we have to understand that the people were following him and they're searching for him. And they find him. And so we'll pick it up in verse 25. I'm reading out of the NSAB. Which, which? Chapter 6. John chapter 6. Sorry. 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 So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, Amen. which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask the next question, which is, which, is, which is the natural next question. Well, what must we do to do the work God requires? And a very interesting answer, I think, Jesus says. He says, the work of God is this is to believe in the one he sent. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to share some stories with you guys today. They're scriptural references, and I'll just throw out the chapter I'm going to share it with. But I want you guys to imagine yourself in these stories and how you would react and how you would feel and what you would be thinking. So the first story is out of Exodus 15. And so imagine yourself. You and your family are refugees. All you have left is a few possessions from the home you suddenly left. Just a few. You have your wonderful wife, your amazing children. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Frankly, you don't know what today holds. You have no idea where you're going. You only know that you are fleeing repression. And you are led by a holy man. A man who knows the God of your ancestors. You and your family have been in the desert for two days. It goes without saying, it's hot. Water is low and you will run out soon. The children are exhausted and they're hardly able to keep going and constantly complaining. Your courageous wife looks into your eyes and in that look she asks, how much longer? You share, with, you share with her what you heard the holy man say. Tomorrow we'll have water. Just hold out till tomorrow. Just keep going. You look around at your friends and you can see the discouragement and the, the sullen things that they're doing. And you just tell them, look, look. Look at all the accomplishments the holy man has done. Look at all God has done from us. He has freed us from our repression. He will deliver us. We will have water tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. And as the day progresses, you begin to lose hope. But then you hear a shout come from the front of the people. Water has been spotted. spotted. You almost fall to your knees and you cry out in gratitude. But instead, you turn to your friends, you turn to your wife, you turn to your kids. See, I told you to believe. God's going to take care of us. God's going to deliver us. See? You start pushing forward to get to the water because the little ones are perishing. You yourself have only taken a half ration the last two days because you wanted to make sure the elderly had enough and that your children had enough. So your head is pounding. Your joints are aching. Your muscles are dying. You know you're dying. And as you get closer and closer and closer to the front, you start hearing a roar. Screams yells, but they're not of joy. They're of anguish. There's a dread that comes onto your heart. You say, no, 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 no. No, is there not going to be enough? Is there not going to be enough water? So you continue to push forward, and there's a palpable panic starting to rise the closer you get. And a friend of yours, a good friend, a childhood friend, you see walking towards you. And his face is lost. His eyes are empty. And he keeps mumbling a word over and over again. Mara, Mara, Mara. Bitter, bitter, bitter. You grab a hold of him. You look in his eyes. And you, you, he looks at you and he goes, it's poison. You're like, what? The water is poison. We are all dead. You say, this can't be. And at that moment, he breaks down sobbing. And he says, we should never have left. 
are going to die. In your mind, this can't be. This reality that you're in. The holy man said we would have water. God said we would have water today. You're in the middle of the desert three days from any other water source, and you can't survive. There's only painful death ahead of you. And you have a hard call to make. Everything in your reality screams betrayed. We've been betrayed. You and all you know will die a horrible death. But again in your mind, it says what God says. And your choice is to believe in your reality or to believe in him. What you choose to believe will dictate your actions and your behaviors. Both will guide your path to how you live your life in the world <coughs> and the rewards or regrets in the next one, the eternal one. And both have a cost. Belief is a choice. It is an act of the will. Mm -hmm. It is God's work to you. John 6, 28. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he sent. Fear or faith, your call. One more story. Fast forward. Numbers 13 is where this comes from. I'll have you imagine yourself. Now, you're chosen. You're awesome. You're cool. You're a young man. I know these ladies may be hard to understand because we are, we're very simple actually, not very intelligent. But you are a young man in the prime of life. You have been chosen. You are chosen. You're one of 12 men chosen out of 600,000. Imagine that. What an incredible honor. What a tremendous responsibility. Your character is impeccable. You are respected by all who know you. You are a man of courage. You are slow to speak and quick to listen, which you learned from your grandfather. When you do speak, people listen. You are a leader among leaders. And now you've been given a solemn charge. A heavy responsibility fraught with danger. But you're up for the challenge. You're in the company of 11 others, all like yourself. Men of high character and integrity. Leaders of the people. You are being sent by the holy man and the elders to reconnaissance the enemy. To report back your findings so that your people are prepared for the war ahead. What a great honor. What an incredibly terrifying responsibility. <laughs> you enter the land with your fellowship of heroes, and all you can think about is how stunning the land is. This is amazing. Every place you go, you think, wow, we could homestead here. Look at the water, look at the grazeland. One after another. There's just place after place after place that you're like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And there's a smile on your face, joy in your heart. And you look at your comrades, there's miniatures. There's a smile and there's joy. And you guys are talking and it's incredible. It is beyond all of your expectations, all of your hopes. It's amazing. And that night over the fire, it is, it's, it's, it's a celebration you've never had before. It's, it's so much joy in your life. Look what God is going to give us. We're going into the promised land. This is amazing. 
And there's so much talk, so much guys bantering back and forth. There's so much joy. The next day, same. The next day, same. And the third day, you run into the first peoples that will become your enemy. And they're formidable. And over the next several weeks, you, you continue your reconnaissance with a growing feel of dread in your heart. On each successive scouting mission, your comrades, your comrades become more sullen. There is less talk between you. The nighttime dinners around the fire become quiet, heavy affairs. Each man lost to his own thoughts. They have seen what you've seen, and they can no longer deny it. They are thinking what you are thinking. We can't win. We don't stand a chance. The last night before you return to your people, one of your companions in the quiet says, Brothers, we have all seen the strength of the enemy. There is no denying their power, but God will deliver us. Silence. And out of your mouth, you need to think about it, comes, How? How? Silence. And then another companion. Almost a whisper. I don't know. But we must believe. The trip back is quiet. And as you walk into camp, the crowds gather around you. And you're, you're welcomed like a hero. There's shouts of joy. People shouting questions at you. There's joy written all over everybody's face. Eager expect expectation and anticipation of seeing what you're going to share with them. But in your heart, there is only dread. You force a smile. In your head, you keep telling yourself, God will deliver. God will deliver. God says. God says. God says. You have a hard call to make. What you choose will have tremendous consequences. The fate of your people rests on your shoulder. You know your people cannot overcome the enemy. You tell yourself, but God can. But God said. God said. But everything in your reality screams it's impossible. People are counting on you. The lives of your family are counting on you. This is your responsibility. And almost all of your companions agree with you. We can't win. But God says, we can't. How? Then out of the crowd, your youngest daughter leaps out. She starts running at you. If you had a little girl, you guys know what I'm talking about. She's got her arms way out, and she's yelling, Abba, Father, Abba, 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 Abba. And she jumps into your arms, right? The joy on her face, and she looks in your eye. And you see the innocence, the innocence, those eyes so full of life. And you make your call. Again, we can believe in our reality or believe in him. What you choose to believe will dictate your actions. Both will guide your path to how you live in this world and the rewards or regrets in this one and the next one, the eternal one. And both have a cost. Belief is a choice. It is an act of the will. It is God's work for you.
John 6. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he sent. Okay, one last story. Is that okay? Yes. Let's go, brother. All right. Luke 18 was where this comes from. You are the most... El- Again, lady, sorry. I should have picked a lady. Um, you are the most eligible bachelor anywhere. Right? That's pretty fun to be that. Not that I have ever been that. <laughs> you are pledged to a beautiful young woman who you don't love. You are a door. And you're enthralled with. Your family is wealthy, your family is respected, and they are in government. You have followed in your father's footsteps, and you have gained for yourself a considerable amount of wealth. And you continue to advance in your career, and you, have, you know exactly where you want to go. Your mantra, when is the right time to do the wrong thing? Never. When is the right time to do the right thing? Always. And you hold yourself to that. You always force yourself to do the right thing. You have sought God. You love God. You fear God. And you've worked diligently to keep all of his commandments. Yeah, something's missing. Something's not right. You ask yourself, what am I missing? And there's this buzz in town about this traveling teacher. They say he does miracles. They say he knows things. Some say he's a prophet. Others say he's the Elijah. They say he teaches with authority. You ask yourself, maybe he has the answer. So you make the trip to see him. And during that trip, you pray earnestly to God humbly to God and you cry out to God give me the answer what is missing you arrive you get close to him the crowd's pressing in you ask him this question what must I do teacher to inherit eternal life he doesn't pay any attention to you he's just looking at this kid this baby, this young person on his lap, and they're laughing together, and he's throwing them up, and and you almost start to repeat the question, then he just starts repeating the commands of God. But his attention is fully on this child. You see the joy on his face. He says, you know the commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep the Sabbath. And he starts listing these things off, but he's not paying attention to you. And you say to him, Lord, teacher, I've kept all of these. And he looks up at you. His eyes, his eyes look into you. And for the first time in your life, you know you are fully known. You are fully loved. It's overwhelming. Your breath catches. His eyes change slightly and you see them fill with compassion, with empathy. Then he speaks. He says to you, if you would be perfect, if you would be complete, sell all you have, give it to the poor, 
following. In that instant, eternity stands still for you. You're pierced to the core. Your soul rages, stunned, yet you can't remove your eyes from his eyes. Everything in your reality screams, what? You can't be serious. And in a moment, the ramifications of what he's asking you to do hit you. Your family will disown you. Your father will be ashamed. You'll have nothing. You'll lose the woman you love. For what? Some traveling teacher? But yet, you know he spoke the truth. You have a hard call to make. You get to believe in your reality or you get to believe in him. What you choose to believe will dictate your actions. Both will guide your path. One is harder to believe than the other. It will guide your path to how you live in the world, the decisions you make in the world, the regrets and the rewards you'll have in this world in some ways, but ultimately the rewards and regrets you'll have in the next. Belief is a choice. It is an act of the will. And it is work. The word of God is this, to believe in the one he said. Fear or faith, your call. So in these three stories, many of you know the choice was made. I was going to do three stories about people where they made the choice for faithfulness and time will not allow for that. I'm sure you're saying thank you. <laughs> so you know the consequences of that choice. They were in impossible situations, impossible situations. How did they get there? Did they get there because of their sin? No. We do put ourselves in impossible situations sometimes because of our sin. Let's just be honest about it, right? We do. Did they get there because of somebody else's sin? No. Nope. We do that. Sometimes we follow the wrong people. We hang out with the wrong people. We associate ourselves with all the people. And we follow what they do. And pretty soon we're in an impossible situation. They got there because that is where God led them to. God leads us to impossible situations. He does. He's done it in my life. And he gives us an opportunity to choose. We choose material reason or spiritual reason. We choose fear or we choose faith. It is a work to choose to believe. It is a hard work in our heads to choose to believe. It sometimes it's an impossible work in our head and our hearts to choose to believe. And it's not belief is not this easy believism that pervades our culture, but real belief. Yeah. Belief that Jesus and God mean is the belief that they mean what they say. And they are faithful to their promises. The ones that frighten us and the ones that give us incredible joy. That this loving God is a holy God. You will ultimately reap what you sow. When he says, turn the cheek, love your enemies, forgive those who have wronged you so I can give you forgiveness. When he says, provide for the poor and the widows, he is not making a suggestion if you feel like it. 
when he says no sexually immoral person will enter the kingdom of heaven, he's not joking. He means it. When he says wives submit to your husbands, no joking. When he says husbands, and this is really important, I want to get very clear here. When he says husbands, die for your wife, he is deadly serious. But also, he says that you are fully and truly loved. That you are precious. And that what God of the universe is looking out for you, and what is impossible for you is possible for him. The choice to believe or not to believe has consequences for today in this life, but also eternal consequences. And it is often associated with the cost. Look back in your life. There's probably places where you made a choice. Be honest with yourself and see what that cost was. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go to Abraham chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read out NSAB. NSAB. Abraham is the father of belief and I think sets the example for all of us to follow, as well as you know, Jesus. Oh boy. Okay. All right. By faith, starting in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him on the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations. What are you looking forward to, church? Whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who passed childbearing age, was able to bear children because she considered him faithful. She considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand of the seashore. Pick it up in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, and God tests us, Satan tempts us, God tests us. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. So imagine, stop there. Imagine this destination where you follow God. You've left everything. You've been blessed, right? You've had a relationship with God for years, and he finally gives you everything you ever dreamed. And then he tells you, kill it. Doesn't make sense. Has no basis of, that's logically doesn't make sense. Right? It doesn't. You're telling me to kill the promise that you gave me. How does that make any sense? Can you imagine? I don't think Abraham said, okie dokie. Sounds good. Let's go kill Isaac. I think his soul was torn. I think he wrestled with God. I think he tried to figure out what, what, what. Lord, this makes no sense. And this is what he concluded. And why I think he acted the way he did is in verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could reason raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He reasoned. He used his reason. He said, God is God. Is God. God is who he says he is. God is going to deliver the promise. He's God. I guess he can raise somebody from the dead. So faith, belief, is based off a of reason. It really is. It's based off a of reason of your belief of what God says about himself about his promises. 
and putting your full weight and trust on that. Not what you're feeling, not what's going through your head, not your circumstances. We've all been in horrible circumstances. Some of us, most of us have never been in the worst circumstances that I described earlier. Where everything cries out for condemnation, cries out for everything else, not deliverance. Right? And it's a test of our hearts. It's a test of our minds. His belief rested on the foundation of reason. God is God. According to God, one day each of us will be judged for what we have done. Will you believe? Will you make those hard calls? Will you walk away from fear and through an act of will against everything you feel, your body cries out, believe. Make yourself believe. Choose to believe. Implicit in knowledge of God is knowing his word, knowing what he says. Memorize the word, know his promises and who he says they are for. Believe his words, not the words in your head. You know, some folks out here, you may say to yourself, you know, I want to believe, but I, I can't pay that cost. I've been there. I've walked away a times. I've seen the cost God was call, calling me to pay, and I'm like, not today, Lord. There's a cost to believe, and the cost, honestly, is between you and God. What I can tell you is that when I have paid that cost, I've never regretted it. I've never looked back. And gratitude has been full in my heart that he gave me the strength to believe. Even though I didn't know how everything was going to turn out. Some folks may be saying in their heads, I can't make the hard calls. I've never been able to. You know inside of you it's hard for you to make hard calls, hard decisions. That's okay. That's okay. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Pray to him to believe in him. Ask for him to place in your heart his reality. Reveal his eternity. He'll do it. But choose to believe the prayer. Choose to believe. When you pray that, he will answer. Maybe there are some folks out there who trusted in God and were disappointed. It's me too. All of these are me. I would urge you to revisit the occurrence with the low Lord. Revisit it. Pray. Spend some time alone with him. Seek him and ask him for his perspective. Amen. And I know there are some folks out there who struggle, who are in the grips of depression and anxiety. I know I'm one of you. The thoughts in your head are painful and they affect your hurt, your heart. You are hurting. And these accusing thoughts keep going through, through your head. You don't measure up. You'll never be able to change. What's wrong with me? What am I missing? I thought I've done everything. Why do I hurt so bad? I'm one of you guys. Though you try to believe so much, you face a reality is that in your mind, in your heart, you're a disappointment. You disappoint God. You disappoint yourself. You disappoint everybody around you. You look at the evidence. You look at the evidence of you. There's this, it hurts. But this I want to share with you is what God says about it. And this is what I would ask you to believe. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've committed yourself to him, Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. John 1.12 says, you are a child of God. John 15.15 says, 
You are Christ's friend. John 15, 16, I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear fruit. I'll skip off the scriptural references, but these are all from scripture. God says you are a slave of righteousness. You are a son and daughter of God. You are a joint heir with Christ, sharing in his inheritance with him. You are a temple of God. His spirit dwells in you. You are joined to the Lord and in one spirit with him. You are a new creation, reconciled to God and a minister of reconciliation. You are a son of God and you're one in Christ. You're a heir of God. You're a saint. You're God's workmanship. You're his fellow citizen with Jesus. You are part of his family. He loves you. You are righteous and you are holy. You are a citizen of heaven and seated at the heaven right now. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You are a son of light, not of darkness. You are a partaker of Christ. You share in his life. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. You're an alien and stranger in this world, and you don't feel like you fit in. That's my part. You're an enemy of the devil. Remember that. And now you're a child of God, and in the end, you'll remember Christ when he returns. So you have a hard call to make. You can believe in your reality. You can believe in him and what he says. What you choose to believe will dictate your actions. Both will guide your path to how you live in this world. And the rewards and regrets you'll have in this one and in the next one, the eternal one. Both have a cost. Belief is a choice. It's an act of will. It is impossible for you to believe. But it's possible for God to give you the strength. It is God's work for you to believe in the one he sent. Not in yourself. Choose today, faith or fear, fear or faith, your call.